Well, we are into our final week of more prayer. Started back in September, a beautiful, sunny Saturday morning when a bunch of us got our bikes out and cycled around the uh, kind of parish boundary, did a 30-mile bike ride around where people from the church live. And now we are just within spitting distance of Christmas. Next Sunday is the 1st of December, the first Sunday in Advent. We are getting ready. The church Christmas tree is being delivered tomorrow, I think. Donna's got that all organized. I'm going to go and buy my Christmas tree next Saturday, so it's ready for the 1st of December. Went and got myself a Christmas shirt yesterday. We're getting in gear. We're getting ready for the wonders of Christmas. Now, over these uh, past nine weeks, we have prayed more in terms of the, just the time we've invested in prayer, and more of us have prayed because we've had loads of people come out to our prayer gatherings, but we are still looking for more. I'm looking, out, looking for more, so I would encourage you, as Nathaniel has already, to turn out this week. If you're new here this morning and you haven't yet got one of these, it's not too late. Pick up one of these prayer guides, and at the back it's got a list of our prayer gatherings happening this week. Come and pray. I've kind of cleared my diary this week, and I'm aiming to get to three or four of the prayer gatherings myself. Uh, Get out. I know this time of year it's difficult. The inertia is to stay in. You get home at the end of the day, and it is so dark this time of the year, and the weather's miserable, and it's raining, and everything inside you says, stay inside, stay inside. Put on a coat. Get outside. Go and meet with others. Go and pray. It's a great thing to do. You'll be more blessed by doing that than you will be by staying at home and watching prime ministerial candidate debates do you far more good to go out and pray with others. Uh, even if you don't make any of the other prayer meetings, come to my house on Wednesday, 8 o'clock. I'd love to see you there. I don't want to be on my own. So please, come out and pray this week. And then our worship night next Sunday evening and then the party the week after. They're all part of this whole picture, actually, of the people who know what it is to gather together to enjoy God to pray, to seek him, and to celebrate. We do want prayer to be not the spare wheel of the church, something which is in the back of the car. I'm not even sure where it is, and we hope we never have to use it. We want prayer to be the steering wheel, the thing which does direct who we are and how we do our life together. And it has been wonderful to pray over these past weeks. Certainly I've experienced things shift in prayer. As I've prayed, I've seen God move and act and answer some of my prayers. And uh, if that's true for you as well, month's time, 29th of December, last Sunday of the year, we'll be gathering at our other building, Alder Road, in the morning for a toast and testimony. We've done this the last few years. We get together, have a time uh, together, and people share what God has done over the past year in their lives. If you've got a story of something God has done in the last year, or particularly in this season of prayer, we'd love to hear it. So be thinking about that. If you've got something particular, it'd be helpful if you could write that in a Connect card and get it to us so we can uh, make sure you get to share. And there are still prayers which we need to pray for which are not yet answered. There's things that I wrote down at the front of my book in terms of the big things I'm praying for, which I haven't seen a complete answer for. And so we're not stopping praying. As we get to the last prayer meeting this Friday here, we don't then stop praying at that point. No, actually, we want to be a people who are shaped by prayer, defined by prayer. They want this to be our culture as a church, that we're a prayerful people. I was thinking again about that great story of Daniel uh, taken into exile in Babylon, and it says in that story that three times a day, Daniel would get down on his knees and pray. That was his culture, that was his posture, and our culture as a church, and our 
personal posture needs to be one of prayer. So let's keep praying. Now, over these weeks, we have been teaching into and then praying around some specific and particular themes. So we started off by praying that we would pray more for more prayer. Let us be people who pray more, Lord. We pray that we would have a greater knowledge of God, that we'd know God better, we'd know more about God, and that would then fuel our prayers. We prayed for salvation, and we want to see more and more people coming to a knowledge of God. We're looking for salvation. We're looking for people to come to know Jesus. There's a baptism up at Alder Road this morning, which is fantastic. Had a baptism here a couple of weeks ago. We're looking for more baptisms, more people to come to know Jesus. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, we're all about wanting to introduce you to Jesus. That's what it's all about. We prayed that we would know more power in the Spirit. We want to be a people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and know the Holy Spirit's presence, the Holy Spirit's power, the Holy Spirit's fruit, the Holy Spirit's gifts being worked out amongst us. We prayed that we would have more resources for the mission, the, God thing, the things that God has called us to require resources of people and cash and buildings. And so we pray that God would give us and provide for us. We've prayed about discipleship. We don't just want to be those people who have a kind of a, an ascent that Jesus is Lord and turn up on a Sunday, but we want to be those who truly follow after Jesus, who become more and more like Jesus, who become like him and display him to the world. We've prayed that we would know the goodness of God, and we'd be good ourselves, and we'd be people full of faith. Lord, give us goodness, give us faith. We've prayed that we would know joy in the Lord. The theme I want to return to again this morning. And uh, over this past week, we've been praying that the Lord would bring us more nations. Uh, we are called to mission to the ends of the earth. And we love it that when, when God brings people from other nations to us, just at Bournemouth University, there are 3,000 international students and 126 different nations represented. 192 nations recognized by the United Nations, 126 of them at Bournemouth University. Just imagine the missional impact that we could have if we connect with more students at the university and how we could be enriched as a church by having even more nationalities represented amongst us. There should be a little video of uh, some of the guys from the advanced team have been in Nepal the past week. Is that slide there? Those uh, the guys in Nepal know how to ha have joy in the Lord. A great bunch. We're working with about 30 different churches in Nepal. I'm going to go out there again and visit them next year. We're connected to nations around the world, and we're praying, Lord, give us more connections in the nations and bring more nations to us. And today our theme is more of the kingdom. This is where we're finishing. And actually we're circling back to where we began. When we began, we were thinking about more prayer. We were looking at the Lord's Prayer, the prayer Jesus taught us, your kingdom come, your will be done. And today we're coming back to that, asking that God would reveal more of his kingdom amongst us and through us. And today we're looking at Jesus' mother's anticipation of the coming of the kingdom, Mary's anticipation of the coming kingdom. And it's a Christmas story. 
This is a Christmas story that we are into. We're in Luke chapter 1, page 1026. And uh, in the notes in the book, we focus just on Mary's song at verse 46. But I'm going to start at verse 30 to help us get the context of the whole story. An angel appeared to Mary and said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your words to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is the extraordinary, mind-boggling story of the incarnation that a young Jewish girl is so taken hold of by God that she conceives the Messiah. And we mustn't lose the wonder of this. And it's so easy for us to do so, especially at this time of year, because over the next few weeks, there'll be all the nativity plays happening in the schools. This has happened so many thousands and thousands of times in so many thousands of schools for decade after decade. And we've all seen them and we've all been there. And you've been there. And if you're a parent or a grandparent with young kids, you'll probably be there again this year. And there'll be some six-year-old girl with a piece of tinsel around her head saying, I am the angel of the Lord. You are going to have a baby. And it's just so familiar and actually so banal. We're just kind of soaked it in it in our culture that we miss the wonder of what is happening. But imagine that you'd never heard it before. I think it's so difficult to do because we've heard it so many times. But imagine you'd never heard this story before. What a story it is. Imagine that this 
was brand new to you, never heard the story of God entering human history in a way that actually God somehow was conceived in a woman's womb. And really this is the first major roadblock to accept Christianity. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, this might be the, the first roadblock for you. Does God, if there is a God, does God really do things like this? Because the incarnation, this message of the angel to Mary, you're going to carry the Messiah, it raises huge questions. It raises questions of biology. Is it possible that somehow God could cause Mary to conceive when she's a virgin? It raises questions of ethics. Is it right that God should do this to a young woman? And it raises all kinds of questions of philosophy. If God was somehow in Mary's womb, how was God still being God and running the universe? It raises huge questions, the story of the incarnation. But imagine if it were true. Imagine if it really were true that somehow the earthly and the cosmic were on a collision course where God, who is all power and all knowledge and pure spirit, somehow enters the limitation and the poverty of human flesh. Imagine if that were true. And of course, the claim of Christianity is that, yes, it is true that that's exactly what God has done. God has entered the human experience. This is what happens when the kingdom of God breaks out, that God's world is not separate from ours. Actually, God's world enters ours. God himself has entered our worlds. He entered it firstly and most intimately by entering a woman's womb. God has come to the earth. It's an extraordinary, amazing, wonderful story. And the way that Mary responds to this is a model for us, that Mary's response to what God is going to do is not primarily one of questioning. It's primarily one of praising God, I'm going to praise you for what you're doing in me. She celebrates all that God has done. She draws deep from what she knows of what God has done in the past amongst her people, the people of Israel. And then she anticipates what her son Jesus, the Messiah, is going to do. That Jesus is the one who will usher in the kingdom of God. That the rule and the reign of God are going to be seen on the earth. All the promises that God has made to her ancestors, to Abraham and the other heroes of the faith, somehow they're all going to be fulfilled by what is happening to her. That God is coming to earth. And the song that Mary sings, the prayer she prays, gives us a picture of what the kingdom of God is going to look like. And this is a kingdom which is very different from worldly kingdoms. We can look at some things from Mary's song, her prayer, and see what that tells us about the kingdom of God. Firstly, the kingdom of God is characterized by joy in the Lord. Characterized by joy in the Lord. I wonder if you were stopped on the street at this time of electioneering and a reporter wanted to get your uh, sense of what the temperature in the country was and they'd said to you, what do you think the defining characteristic of the British people is at this time? I wonder what your response would be. Maybe in the past people would have said, well, the uh, general characteristic of the British people is a stiff upper lip and the bulldog spirit. Probably that isn't the answer we'd give now. Maybe we'd give an answer which is a little bit more negative. We might say, well, actually, the general characteristic of the British people at this moment is indifference or cynicism or frustration. But what is the kingdom of God to be characterized by? The kingdom of God is characterized by joy in the Lord. 
This is one of the things that we particularly lent into in one of our weeks of prayer. More joy in the Lord. If we know who we are as God's people, if we know to whom we belong as his people, if we understand what that means, if we understand what it means to be in union with Christ, joined to him, and if we understand what that means in terms of communion, that there's relationship with God that we're called into, that Knowing God isn't just an abstract or an intellectual thing, but it's a heart thing. It's a being pulled into relationship with God, that we have a Father in heaven who loves us, welcomes us, embraces us. There's a, the Holy Spirit indwells us so that we can know with certainty the truth of our salvation and so we can cry out to God, Abba, Father. This has all happened because of the work of Jesus, the Son. When we know this, we are called into relationship with God, which is living and dynamic. And that must mean joy. This was Mary's experience. God came to her. God spoke to her. The Holy Spirit fell upon her. She experienced joy in God. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. If you know and experience the reality of a relationship with God... Joy has to be a consequence. It has to be a fruit. It has to result. It just follows as night follows day, as milk comes out of cows. It's just how things are. The joy of the Lord is part of the kingdom of God. And so when we are praying for more of the kingdom, part of that is we're praying for more joy. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Lord, let us know the joy of the Lord. Rejoicing in God, rejoicing in what is solid, eternal, reliable. Now, as Christmas approaches, there's going to be lots of singing of joy to the world. And there's going to be lots of Christmas cards with joy written on them. But let us, as God's people, truly be characterized by the joy of the Lord. This means that when we gather to worship, we should let it rip in worship because of the joy of the Lord, which is ours. Now, there are all different kinds of shapes to worship and expressions of emotion. It's right at times to come and worship and to mourn. It's right at times to come and repent. It's right at, right at times to come and lament. But the general shape, the biggest kind of frame for our worship is joy. Rejoicing in God because of what he has done for us and because we are citizens of his kingdom. And so we need to push into joy as we pray. Your kingdom come. Let us know more joy in the Lord. I want to pray. I want to pray for us. I want to pray especially for those of you who are struggling with joy. And some of you here today, it's difficult to experience joy because the circumstances of your life don't feel particularly joyful. There's stuff going on in life which is hard. You're downcast. You're maybe feeling very Novemberish that the whole world is just damp and gray and pressing down upon you. And there might be specific things which are hard and you're wrestling with and fearful of and anxious about, which are blockages to your experiencing the joy of the Lord. Now, what the Word of God teaches us is that even in those circumstances, we can still know the reality of God's joy in our spirits. Just as Mary did, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Think about her circumstances. You'd think that her primary response would be one of terror and confusion. What on earth is happening to me? But what happens when the Holy Spirit fills her is she cries out, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And so let's pray. Let's pray that we would know the joy of the Lord, be characterized by that. Yes, Father, I do pray for us. I pray especially for anyone here, any of my brothers and sisters who are 
struggling to know joy because of the circumstances of life. I pray, Jesus, that like Mary, we might know the infilling of the Holy Spirit so that outflow then is one of praise to you, rejoicing in God. I pray that whatever is happening in our lives, whatever is going on in the world around us, that we as your people will be characterized by the joy of the Lord. I pray as we say your kingdom come, that part of the way in which the world around us sees the reality of that would be because of the joy in the Lord which we share. So help us to know this, to experience it, to demonstrate the joy we have in you. Your kingdom come, Lord. Ask in your name. Amen. Second characteristic of the kingdom of God is humility. This is a kingdom in which the first, the last, and the last are first. And Mary was humble and she was aware of her humble state. God has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Mary didn't amount to very much in the eyes of the world. She knows that she's humble and she also knows as she prays that God scatters those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. That's a brilliant prayer that she prays. God scatters those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Now, I think our society does actually value humility, and this is largely a legacy of our Christian heritage, that uh, in the world of the Bible, certainly in the Roman world context, uh, humility was not greatly valued. You were meant to achieve stuff, and you were meant to boast about it. That's how the world operated. Because we've got such a legacy of Christianity in our culture, we still value humility in some ways. And uh, I didn't watch any of the leaders' debate on Friday. I saw a bit of the one earlier in the week with Johnson and Corbyn. And both of them were trying very hard to be humble. And they have to be, because in our context, in the British context, if a, somebody who wants to be prime minister stood up and just said, just vote for me, because when it comes to it, I am the most awesome, I am the greatest, I am the most brilliant, I am the best leader the world's ever seen... Nobody would vote for them because we think, actually, they're meant to be humble. When the, the, the audience in the prime ministerial debate was doing their best to impose humility upon Johnson and Corbyn. It's not always the case. Some periods in history, it's been very different. Some parts of the world. Um, let's think about our American friend across the ponds. This is a great example of his kind of tweets. Sorry, losers and haters, but my IQ is one of the highest, and you all know it. <laughs> uh, a classic Trump tweet. Um, <laughs> now, some people, of course, that, that appeals to some people, but for millions of others, it just... Ah! It's, just the, it's too arrogant. We expect to have greater humility in our leaders. Let's move off that slide, Angie. Now, Mary's prayer actually gets the real heart of the matter. She says that God scatters those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. And the reality is that there can be a veneer of humility, there can be a public face of humility, but the inner reality is pride. And that's not just the case for leading politicians, that's true for all of us. And actually the way that pride works is we always tend to spot the pride in other people and try and impose humility upon them, but we can be very blind to the pride which actually fills our own hearts. That's how pride works. It's the sneakiest of all the sins. And the way of the world really is, even if people put on a veneer of humility, the way you get ahead in this world is really by arrogance. Think you're the best, 
do the best, get ahead. That's how life works. And what that does is fail to recognize dependence upon God. That's what pride is. I can do it my way. I did it my way. I've got my achievements, my abilities, my skills, my qualification. I'll get ahead. The kingdom of God is very different. In the kingdom of God, it is those who are truly humble who get lifted up. God scatters those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Now, Mary saw that, and Jesus, her son, demonstrated it. Think about some of the crazy things that Jesus taught his disciples. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. What kind of man is that? Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be the first must be your slave. Now, we're very familiar with these verses, and actually these shape how we think because our culture has been so steeped in Christianity for so long. It's why when Johnson and Corbyn get up, the crowd in the audience wants them to be the slave. <laughs> We've got this mentality, but actually that itself is often twisted by our pride. But Jesus, this wasn't just a veneer for Jesus. This was real. This is how Jesus lived. Jesus was the one who wrapped a towel around his waist, got on his knees, and washed the disciples' feet. Jesus was the one who was exposed to the ultimate humiliation of death on the cross. Jesus embodied humility. And so when we pray for more of the kingdom, that means praying ourselves into humility. And this is difficult, both because it's often hard to identify the pride in our own hearts, but also because we can kind of twist this around and we think being humble means some kind of self-loathing, that the way to true humility is to abase yourself, to crawl in the dust, say, what a worm I am, how miserable I am, I hate myself and everybody else hates me. If they don't, they should do because I'm so miserable. That isn't true humility. Actually, that in itself is a manifestation of pride in a distorted way. True humility is recognition of our need of God and our dependence upon God. It's, it's the humility we see in Mary. I am the Lord's servant. May his word in me be fulfilled. That's what true humility looks like. It's when we come in this place of recognizing our dependence upon God, recognizing that we are called to be his servants, and we say, Lord, fulfill in me and through me the word you've spoken. That's not a place of abasement. Actually, that's a place of dignity. True humility in God lifts us up. It raises us into real dignity, into real freedom, into real liberty. What it does is to break the power of our self-sufficiency. This myth of our era that I am self-sufficient. I can do it my way. I can rescue myself. I can make life work myself. What we need to do is to push into humility as we pray. And so I want to pray for us that we'd be characterized by humility, a true humility. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that for us. Jesus, you who were humble and displayed what that looks like, I pray for us when we're proud, when there is pride in our hearts. Lord, we don't want to be scattered by you. We want to be lifted up by you. And so I pray we'd stand as those who are your servants, who recognize our dependence upon you and say, Lord, fulfill your word in us. I pray for those, Jesus, whose tendency is towards self-loathing and we'll confuse that with genuine humility. I pray they'd see their dignity just as Mary did. She was lifted up in, in her humility to this place of extraordinary honor. And Lord, I pray that for us, that we would not twist this, but we would stand in the, 
empowering humility that is a characteristic of the kingdom of God. Let us not be shaped by the arrogance of the ways of the world, but be eager to serve, serve you and serve one another, and in that to find freedom and liberty and life. Your kingdom come, Lord. Amen. The third thing the kingdom of God is characterized by is everything being upside down. Jesus prays, uh, Mary prays, bring, God brings the humble up, he brings the rulers down, he fills the hungry while the rich go empty. That's not the way of the world, it's all back to front. And Mary sees this and then Jesus, her son, embodies it. One of the most famous parts of Jesus' teaching are what we call the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, Jesus taught this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, you know, this is... This is really beautiful stuff. It's the kind of thing which pulls at our hearts, tugs at our hearts, or it should do, because what Jesus is speaking about here is the world as the world should be. That in the kingdom of God, evil doesn't win. The biggest guy with the biggest stick doesn't win. Ugliness doesn't win. What wins in the end is goodness and kindness and mercy and peace. And what we human beings are looking for, even if we don't always realize it, we're looking for the kingdom of God. We're looking for the place where evil doesn't win and ugliness doesn't win and the biggest guy with the biggest stick doesn't win, but where what wins is beauty and purity and mercy and goodness and kindness. That's the kind of world we want to live in. But it's amazing how the teachings of Jesus also can provoke real anger in people because it does Go to the very heart of our pride, of our self-sufficiency, of our self-saving tendencies. Because what Jesus says is that the losers win. And we don't like that. Because in our world, winners are meant to win. Those who've got the energy and the brains and the ability and the strength and the charisma and the personality and the power, those are the people who should win. And Jesus says, no, it's not... It's not those people who win. That's not how you win. The way that you win is by losing. It's the losers who win. That's why so many of the secular prophets who've shaped our world over the last couple of centuries despise Christianity. That's why Nietzsche, the philosopher, thought about Christianity as being kind of weak and cringing like a dead spider or a spider playing dead, lying on its back. That's Christianity, he said. That's why Marx saw Christianity as a, just a means of control. This is how the boss class control the working class, by saying to them, yeah, your conditions are terrible, but actually that's what God wants for you. It's a means of control and manipulation. That's why Freud said that what Jesus taught is just a comforting illusion. Your life is miserable, and you try and make yourself feel better about it by believing this stuff that Jesus taught. What the kingdom of God does is offend human wisdom and human power puts everything upside down, everything back to front. And this is where salvation lies. Here is where true blessing is. Actually, this is 
where human flourishing happens. True human flourishing happens in a place, not where the things win which normally win, but where peace wins and kindness wins and humility wins and mercy wins and purity wins. That's when humans flourish. And so we need to pray upside down prayers. We're not praying for success and prestige as the world usually measures it. No, what we're praying for are the values of the kingdom. We're praying for the shalom, the peace of God. And so we need to push into this in our prayers. Your kingdom come. Let everything be turned upside down. Lord, I do pray that. I pray that for us as a community that we display and demonstrate that, that the way in which we do life together would not be by the values of the world, but we'd recognize actually in pursuing you, you call us to seek things in a different way. The first will be last, the last will be first. Peace wins rather than violence. Humility wins rather than pride. Beauty wins rather than ugliness. Purity wins rather than corruption. Lord, I pray that we demonstrate this as a church the reality of your kingdom come. Amen. The last thing I want to see from this is that the kingdom of God is characterized by generation to generation blessing. You know, everybody, we all want to leave a legacy. None of us want to think that when we die, we'll be gone and forgotten within six months. We want to imagine that there'll be something left of us, which people will look back and reflect on. And if you've got kids, you want the best for your kids, and you want the best for their kids, you want to leave a legacy. And God has the same concern in his heart. Mary prays, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. The kingdom of God is the only kingdom that will last forever. The kingdom of God will fill the earth. All other kingdoms rise and they fall, but the kingdom of God will endure. And this means that we need to see the mercies of God stretching backwards in time and forwards in time. And this is how Mary prays. As she prays, she stretches into the past, into her past. She talks about Abraham and all her ancestors and all the things that God has promised in the past. And she stretches into the future as she anticipates what her son will do. Now, we need to stretch in prayer like this too. We look back, we read the story of the Bible, all that God has done through the ages with his people. And we look back at the story of the church the past 2,000 years and all that God has done. We lay hold of those promises and then we stretch into the future as well. We look ahead and we anticipate more of the kingdom of God being displayed in us and through us. And this means that we can look both back and forwards free from fear. So often we look back and we think, man, all that stuff happened in the past and it's all piling up and it's going to fall on our heads and then we look into the future and we feel anxiety about what is coming. And our lives, past and future, are characterized by fearfulness. And the way that Mary prays is not fearful, it's confident. And the way we're to pray, praying for the kingdom, is not fearful, it's confident. You, God, have promised this, you have done this, God, you've promised that and you will do it. And so we lay hold of those things, confident in you, not fearful, but full of faith that the kingdom of God is coming. It's got to shape how we do ministry in the church. It means that we value and respect those who are older. Love it that we've got people in the church who've been faithfully serving Jesus for 50, 60, 70 years. We honor those people. We respect them. But it also means we have to have an intentional leaning towards those who are younger because God's blessings are from generation 
to generation. We have a responsibility to teach the next generation the things of God. Every local church is only one generation away from extinction. If we don't reach the younger generation now, 20 years' time, there will be no Gateway Church. And so we have to put disproportionate investment into the next generation. Our time, our money, our efforts, our prayers need to be disproportionately focused towards those who are younger. It means those of us who are older need to sacrifice some of our preferences for those preferences of those who are younger to reach them. It means that we need to invest in terms of discipleship and all that we're doing, we need to invest in those who are younger. We have felt particularly challenged by God over the last few months about reaching the 18 to 20s. We have to reach the 18 to 20s because if we don't reach the 18 to 20s now in 20 years' time, this church will be dead. God's blessings are intended to go from generation to generation. And so we need to push into this in our prayers. We pray for generation to generation blessing. When we're praying, your kingdom come... We're praying that God would help us to connect with the next generation, make disciples of them, and see them established in the kingdom of God and as members of a church like this. And so we pray for that, Lord. Do I pray you'd help us here at Gateway, Jesus, to connect with the next generation. Lord, thank you for our kids who are around. We pray for them to be caught up in worship of you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us, particularly with the 18 to 20s, that generation which so often is missing from church life. Lord, bring more of that demographic to us. Help us to reach them, to speak the good news of Jesus to them. Lord, think of all these students, 25,000 students or something in Bournemouth and Paul, 3,000 internationals. Lord, bring more of them to us. Help us to go to them. I pray, Lord, that the experience of blessing we have would be passed to the next generation. We wouldn't hold it. We wouldn't sit in it. We wouldn't be complacent in these things. We look as Mary did, for a generation-to-generation blessing of the kingdom of God. Your kingdom come, King Jesus. Amen. We want to see the kingdom of God breaking out in our town through churches like Gateway and other churches in this town. We want to see the kingdom of God demonstrated by the way that we do community together, the values we hold, the reality of God's power displayed amongst us. These things should point people towards the kingdom. We are called to be a colony of heaven here on the earth, proclaiming the great things that God has done. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and let's pray together. Should be a little prayer up on the screen, which we'll pray together. And then I'll pray as the band get ready to play. Let's uh, pray this together. Dear Father, thank you for all you have done for us. Thank you for making us citizens of your kingdom. In our day, in our town, would you let your kingdom come. Through us, may many others see your mercy and might. Amen. Yeah, well, Lord, we do pray that. I pray that we'd see more and more uh, the reality of your kingdom. Lord, pray it be displayed in us and people like us, other Christians, other churches throughout this town. And through us, others might then be caught up. We think of this amazing miracle that God has entered the human experience, that there has been this cosmic collision of the heavenly and the earthly. Jesus, you came and lived amongst us. You were 
conceived in Mary's womb and born and lived as a man. And by that, you have enabled us to come into the presence of God and be declared to be citizens of heaven. I pray at this time, I pray at this time in our nation, the election just around the corner and all the cynicism and confusion and arguments, I pray that we would demonstrate the good news of this upside-down kingdom we belong to, where you've turned everything upside down, and by that you'll bring all things to rights. So let us grasp hold of these things, pray into them, and display them. Your kingdom come, your will be done, and Gateway Church in Bournemouth, Paul Christ Church, in the UK, across the nations of the world, as it is in heaven. This we ask in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's worship him.